Okay. Did you have enough of a rest there? Uh, back up on your feet one more time. Steve and Luann over here, they got it. If you're able to, let's stand up. If this is your first time with us, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here. And every week, one of the things that we do before the, we open the scriptures is we confess the faith of the church in the words of the Nicene Creed, 1,700 years old. This is a statement of faith that is shared by Catholics and Eastern Orthodox and Protestants of every stripe around the world. So it really summarizes the story that we find ourselves in. This is our faith. Let's say together, brothers and sisters, we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. If you agree with that this morning, say real loud. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. It is good to see you this morning. Happy Mother's Day one more time to all the mamas in the room. Can we give it up one more time for the moms in the house? Everybody looking spiffy. I wore my Mother's Day shirt, a lavender here. You like that? Pretty nice. Blazer. We spiff it up for the moms and for Jesus. That's what we try to do around here. But happy Mother's Day. Uh, I am the product of a really good mom. I have uh, four siblings or three siblings, John, Anna, and Robert live around the country. And my mom, just in my mom and my dad together, but my mom did such a great job raising us, godly woman. And uh, one of the things I think that my mom's life and witness make me aware of is that it seems to me that the, one of the uh, unique vocations of motherhood is to preserve and promote the harmony of the family, you know, that everybody would get along. And so uh, in the Arndt family, one of the things that's unique about us is that uh, we have sort of made a sport of family conflict. Um, and so if there's anything to fight about, you know, my family would just jump in the ring and they just go for it. And it doesn't even matter what the issue is. It's really like, oh, okay, it's on now. You know, that's the Arndt family a little bit. And my mom just always fighting to preserve and promote the health of our family. And so when we were kids, and she'd see little squabbles start to break out. She'd go, guys, you better to get it together. I'm going to start singing. And we always knew, like, what the song was that was coming. And if we didn't get it right, she would start singing. She would go, we're a family that loves, loves, loves. Do any of you know the song? No? Okay, what's well, the thing? Loves one another, she would sing. And my mom 
Lord love her, she's not an excellent singer, and she would be the first to admit this. So it was a little off kilter, but it, we're a family that cares, cares, cares. We're sisters and brothers through sunshine. You don't know this song at all? Was I the only one that grew up in church? Mandy does. So give it up to Mandy Art in the room, right? Through sunshine. I'm just going to keep going. Or rain. We will love. She was singing the whole thing, by the way. Just the same. We're a family that loves, 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 loves one another. Let's stand. We're going to take communion. Here we go. No, just kidding. Nancy, aren't we? Salute you. Uh, but she would, you know, and we were so we're squabbling. And my mom would sing that song into us, over us. The music of our harmony, really, pulls us back together. Look, we're a family. Then we love, 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 love one another. We care. We're sisters and brothers, sunshine and rain. We will love just the same. We're a family. She's pulling us back together again. And one of the things I always think about on Mother's Day is that we don't just celebrate uh, the individual mothers in our midst. But one of the things that we remember is that in a manner of speaking, one of the ways that the church has always talked about her own identity is that the church also is a mother, promoting the health of the children, God's children. And so St. Cyprian of Carthage said it this way. He said that he cannot have God for his father who doesn't have the church for his mother. And so one of the things that happens in the community of faith is that like my mom, we are schooling one another always in the arts of forgiveness and reconciliation so that the relationships that God has given us operate as harmoniously as God intends, which happens to be that second petition of the second half of the Lord's Prayer that we're covering this morning. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What we're talking about here is harmonious relationships. And so God, before we open the scriptures here, Boy, we're lifting up our hearts to you, and we're just saying that we need you. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, nobody preached better than you. And so we say to you this morning, preacher, preach your word to us. Help us hear, and John says, that one day the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. And he also says that that day that is coming also has now come. We're praying that this morning that we who are dead in this room would hear the voice of the Son of God and that we'd come out of our graves and live. Liberate us this morning from all that holds us captive, all that prevents us from being the people that you've called us to be, all that prevents us from rising up as the community that you have called us to rise up as. We're praying that you would free us in your kingdom. Grant that, we're asking. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, this then, Jesus says, is how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For, Jesus says, if, everybody say if, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, then your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, everybody say but, 
If you don't forgive other people their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. It's a hard word, but this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said. So what we've learned so far in the Lord's Prayer is a map for understanding not only how we should pray, but what it means to live in God's kingdom is that we always pray together, right? Our and then Father, he's the one that wills our good at all times and loves us deeply as a father should. Our Father who is in the heavens, the heavens as we said are not far away, but the heavens are near. God is closer to us than our very skin. That's who we're addressing. And when we turn from that moment of address to the first petitions of the Lord's Prayer, we're talking about the hallowing of God's name, which is also, by the way, the sanctification of all things that God's name has to do with, which, by the way, is all things. And so as we pray, hallowed be your name, we're also praying that God would sanctify himself in all things, which is why the next lines run as they do. Uh, Let your kingdom come let your will be done where? On earth, just like it is in heaven. So as we pray that the Father would hallow his name, we're also praying that the kingdom would come and that the will of God would be done in our midst just like it's done in heaven. And as we learn, when we pray those things, we're not just praying that God would get his nice stuff that he cares about and then we kind of just get the scraps or the leftovers. But the hallowing of the name and the coming of the kingdom and the doing of the will of God happen to be the best things that could happen to any one of us. And that sets the context for really making sense of what comes next in the Lord's Prayer. We begin to pivot to the more practical concerns of our lives. And Jesus unpacks those practical concerns as follows. Number one, provision. Jesus cares that we have enough to eat and enough to drink and that we have a roof over our heads. And so it's give us this day our daily bread. It's not all the bread that we're ever going to need for the rest of our lives. God's not trying to sever our relationship with him, but he's trying to lead us into moment-by-moment dependence where he can take, where he takes care of us. And as we lean into that, we start leaning, I think, into the larger concerns. But the next thing that he calls us into is clean relationships. It's the will of God that we would have clean relationships with one another, which is what I think that next line of the Lord's Prayer speaks to. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, right? So we're talking here about clean relationships with one another. And then three, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, I think speaks to the need for practical holiness, that God's will for us, the deep need of our lives is that we would walk in accordance with the will of God. That happens to be the best thing for us. Now, I think that this particular line here, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, is peculiarly fascinating because this is the one line in the teaching of Jesus here on the Lord's Prayer that he chooses to expand on. Could have chosen to expand on any line. Our Father part, the kingdom, the will of God, hallowing, feeding us, lead us not. But instead he picks this line. Look back down at verse 14. For if, Jesus says, you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive other people your sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus finishes the teaching on the Lord's Prayer, and then he circles back to this as a way of saying, hey, just so you know, like boldface, italic, double underline, this is like a really critical element of your life, that you would learn to live in the economy of grace, that you would learn to live in the economy of mercy, that you would learn to live in the economy of forgiveness. In the mind of Jesus, we could say, the giving and receiving of forgiveness is one of the deepest needs of our lives. 
in the mind of Jesus, the giving, both of those things are critical, the giving and receiving of forgiveness are one of the deepest needs of our lives. They're not ancillary to what God is trying to do in us. They're not appendices to what it mean to be, means to be human. In other words, we got all this other stuff that we're about. And by the way, forgiveness has to be, it's actually central because relationships are central to the kingdom of God. And there's all kinds of disturbances that falls into relationships. And so Jesus highlights this because he understands the need to bring those relationships back into a kind of harmony. When you look at the New Testament, the very announcement that Jesus is Lord, that the kingdom is coming among us in Jesus, is always bound up with the forgiveness of sins. Think about the great song of Zechariah. After Zechariah learns that he and Elizabeth are going to have a baby, John the Baptist, he said, you, my child, will be prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare his way, Zechariah says, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of our sins because of the tender mercies of our God through which the rising sun will come to us from heaven. You see this correlation between the inbreaking of God's salvation and the forgiveness of sins. You think about Jesus. After Jesus is raised from the dead, he's with his disciples, giving them the commission before he ascends to the Father. And he says, this is what the Old Testament actually spoke of, that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead. And he says, and then repentance and forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. The forgiveness of sins and salvation all bound up together. You think about Peter. When Peter is preaching at the day of Pentecost to that group of folks that was gathered that day and they're asking, what must we do to be saved? What does Peter say? Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of of your sins. And at that point, you'll receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. You see it everywhere that salvation and forgiveness, the inbreaking of the kingdom and the forgiveness of sins are all bound up with each other. One of my favorite, and I think maybe the most robust statement of this in the New Testament comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Isn't that good news? That Jesus is not just about creating something that kind of happens in our minds, but Jesus is the, he's the advanced taste of the new creation. And now Paul begins to unpack the new creation here. He says, the old has gone, the new is here, and all this is from God who what? He reconciled us to himself through Christ, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And then this statement, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Yeah and amen. (laughs) And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation, and therefore we are God's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We're imploring on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For God made the one who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You ask the Apostle Paul the question, what is God doing in Christ Jesus? And Paul answers it in two dimensions. He says, number one, God is dealing with the offenses that have fallen between him and human beings, reconciling us to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Somehow God has found a way to overcome all of the disturbances wrought in our relationship 
with him by sin, but it's more than that. It's also reconciliation in our relationship with other people. That just to the same extent that God is creating reconciliation between us and him, he's also creating reconciliation between human beings. So it's not just that we go out preaching that individuals can be reconciled to God, but Paul says that we've actually been given the ministry and the message of reconciliation, calling people to reconciliation through which a reconciled to one another community comes into being that reflects the reconciliation that we have with Almighty God. Brothers and sisters, this isn't subsequent to the gospel. This just is the gospel. That what God is doing is he's taking everything that has been alienated and estranged through sin, and he's pulling it back together again. Paul says elsewhere in Ephesians chapter 1, that God's dream is actually to sum all things in heaven and on earth together up under one head, even Christ. God is putting the world back together, and he's doing it by addressing the problem of sin and reconciliation and forgiveness. Are you with me this morning? We could say it this way, that without the language of sin and forgiveness and reconciliation, we cannot make adequate sense of our lives. Without the language of sin, forgiveness, and reconciliation, we cannot make adequate sense of our lives. We cannot give an adequate account of what's happening among us and also between us and God unless we leverage and learn these words, this language, unless we school ourselves in the arts of talking about sin forgiveness, and reconciliation. And I think that we have to be honest about something here. I think that we have to be honest about the fact that in our modern culture, the language of sin makes us squirm, doesn't it? So we don't want anybody telling us that there's some objective standard out there that we violated. We don't want anybody telling us that there was something that we were supposed to do, obligations that we had to other people that we failed to fulfill that resulted in this thing called sin. We don't want to do that. And yet, we still have to give an account of the fact that life under the sun is not working the way that it should. And so absent the language of sin, because we don't want to use that, what do we opt for in our culture instead? I think that what we opt for in our culture instead is the language of the therapeutic. That what we want to talk about instead, we realize that there's brokenness, but we don't want to talk about sin. So what we talk about then is we talk about how there was trauma in my past, and we talk about how when other people do this thing, it really triggers me, and we talk about the need for self-actualization and all of that stuff, and all of that, by the way, it's fine. A trauma is real. Triggering is real. Self-actualization is a thing. It's not that the language is wrong. It's that the language of the therapeutic is not enough to talk about what's really happening among us. You think about some of the great atrocities of the 20th century, maybe the most obvious one, kind of a paradigmatic one. You think about six million Jewish people dying in the Holocaust at the hands of Hitler. H how do you talk about that adequately without using the language of sin and the need for forgiveness, atonement, and reconciliation? What are we going to say? that Hitler was trying to self-actualize himself and he just kind of happened to cause a bad day. That 
It's not enough. It's not enough to talk about the interruptions that happen in our relationships with one another. It's not enough to really make sense of the breaches that fall between us and between us and God. We have to have the language of sin, forgiveness, and reconciliation to make sense of that. But maybe more to the point, I think about, I've been a pastor now uh, 16 years, going on 17. I think about all of the people that I have sat with in my office, marriages that were conflicted, parents that were having a difficult time with their kids, kids that were having a difficult time with their parents, breaches that had fallen in the relationship between siblings or between friends or between business partners. If all we talk about is like, well, listen, you know, you have an obligation to try to be your best self and you have an obligation to try to be your best self. And if you guys are not really getting together harmoniously, well, maybe you all just need to split apart and go your separate ways. What happens when all we have is the language of the therapeutic or self-actualization is that life actually falls apart. We have no way really of pulling things back together again. And I'll tell you the breakthrough moments that I've had in the counseling office with marriages and with families and friends are those moments when it becomes clear that what's going wrong between people is not some therapeutic thing, but it's that somebody is sinning against somebody else. And so as a pastor to be able to say, before we move on to the next thing, what you're doing right there is wrong. It's a violation of the boundaries that God has established between you and this person. And until you put these words on your lips, I'm so sorry for what I've done to you. Will you forgive me? (laughs) There just won't be any grace. There just won't be any healing. There just won't be any reconciliation. And you can go to the therapist all you want. And I hope that you do. But maybe in this room this morning, I can save you two or three years of marriage therapy just by teaching you that you need to say, I'm sorry. Give it a try sometime. See what happens. See if you can't slice through the Gordian knot of craziness that's fallen between you just by taking ownership of your part in what's happened in the relationship, humbling yourself in the sight of God and other people and watching the Lord your God lift you up and also watching tenderness be restored in the relationship that you have with other people. Brothers and sisters, we are the church, which means that we are people who have abandoned, at least in theory, we have abandoned self-righteousness so that we are the people who should be quicker to say I'm sorry than any people on the face of the frickin' planet. Okay, sorry, language. So yeah, I said I was sorry. I'm taking ownership for what I've done here. Please release grace back at me, the most merciful God. We should be the best at this. We're schooled in the arts of talking about sin and forgiveness and reconciliation. We know something about how the world flourishes and how it doesn't flourish. When you think even about the language that's used in the Lord's Prayer, there are different versions of the Lord's Prayer. In this particular line, there are different words that get used for that which needs to be forgiven, okay? Some versions of the Lord's Prayer say, forgive us our sins. Other versions of the Lord's Prayer say, forgive us our, starts with a T, trespasses. Other versions of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our, starts with a D. Oh, y'all were cheating. Thanks, Matt. That was a good job. Sin, trespasses, 
and transgressions and deaths, when you think about these words and what they mean put together, it really provides a comprehensive picture for what happens between us. Sin, both in Old Testament and New Testament, speaks of, you can put the next slide up on the screen, intentionally or unintentionally missing the mark with each other. Isn't that interesting? Intentionally or unintentionally missing the mark with one another. And we know the opposite of this, don't we? We know when we're hitting the mark with each other because there's harmony, there's grace, things flow. We sense that the Spirit is moving among us, right? When the relationships are working as God intends. And then there are those times, intentionally or unintentionally, that we miss the mark with each other. And sometimes we miss it dramatically because we're really trying to hurt one another, so the arrow goes flying off way in the other direction. But other times, we did our best and we still miss it with each other, right? And that needs to be accounted for in some way. And the Bible accounts for that with the language of sin. Sometimes we just miss it with each other. That next word, trespasses or transgressions, speaks to the way that our actions cross boundaries with each other that, not ought, uh, that ought not to be crossed. Think about when you've been wronged by somebody else, what it feels like is a violation of your dignity, your humanness in some way. You're not, I'm not supposed to be treated like this, and now you have done a thing to me that needs to be accounted for in some way. The Bible accounts for it by talking about the language of trespasses or transgressions. We cross a boundary that shouldn't be crossed, and that does something in our relationships with one another. So it's intentionally or unintentionally missing the mark. Trespasses, transgressions, talks to the, about the co- crossing of boundaries. And then this last word, debts, speaks to the reality that our actions have an impact on one another that puts us in a kind of debt with each other. That when I've been wronged by you or you've been wronged by me, something has to be done to make that right, right? There's a deficit in the relationship. And so the will of God is to address that. The will of God is to address that missing of the mark, the crossing of the boundaries, that putting of one another in each other's debt so that reconciliation can take place. Think about this great statement in 2 Samuel chapter 14. The picture that emerges here, actually, you can go back. This is a good statement. I like that. The picture that emerges is that of relationships that have been warped that need to be put right. And it is the will of God to put them right. 2 Samuel chapter 14, there's a breach that's fallen in the relationship between David and his son Absalom. And a woman comes to David one day and she begins to beseech him to make that relationship right. And she says this to David. She says that like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die but God doesn't take away life. Now just think about this. This is our God. Instead, he devises ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. God doesn't take away life. God is not amplifying the estrangements between us. God is not in the business of separating people from one another, but it's the will of God that the banished person may not remain estranged from him or from us forever. Guys, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins. What is God doing on planet earth? He's doing this. He's finding banished people everywhere, and he's bringing them back where they belong. What is God doing in your marriage? He's overcoming the banishment that has fallen between you. What is God doing in your relationship with your kids? 
He's overcoming the estrangement that has fallen between you. What is God doing in your relationship with all of your friends? He is overcoming the estrangement that has fallen between you. This is what God is doing between human beings, this and no other thing. He is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And without the church's language about these things, sin, forgiveness, and reconciliation, all we're left with, brothers and sisters, is the language of banishment and estrangement. Think about the way that we talk about these matters in our culture now. We try to account for the fact that people have done things that need to be dealt with. So what we talk about now is cancel culture, right? Somebody does something in society that we think is deserving of blame or reproach. So what do we do to that person? The worst thing that can happen. We unfollow them on Twitter. Cast them into Twitter hell, you know. But that's what we do. We cancel people. Unfollow them. Unsubscribe from them. Don't listen to this person ever again. They're not getting invited to the Emmys or the Grammys or the Tonys or I don't know, whatever it is. We cancel people. But do you know what that is? That's us trying to acknowledge the reality of sin, but not having any method of atonement. There's no way of bringing a person back, reconciling them, restoring them to the community. In effect, do you know what it is? It's what they did in the Old Testament. The Day of Atonement, two goats. You'd confess the sins of the community over the goats. One goat died and the other goat, what did they do? They sent it away into the wilderness. It's a scapegoat. All the sins of the community, all the antagonism, all of the breakdown in the community goes on this goat, and the goat ain't never coming home, baby. Right? We scapegoat in our culture. And here's what the Scripture teaches us about Jesus Christ, that he was the one who was scapegoated. Labeled as a blasphemer, labeled as one who was beyond the pale, Labeled as the one who needed to be pushed outside of the community, Jesus Christ was made a scapegoat for us so that nobody would ever have to be made a scapegoat again. All of the canceling that has ever existed or will ever exist was piled into the body of the Lord Jesus that day on Golgotha. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, was canceled for us so that we could be reconciled to God and one another. There is no canceling that happens on planet earth that has not been accounted for in the cross of Jesus Christ. And when we begin to grasp this, what it does is it opens up wells of mercy and grace and forgiveness that heal our lives and our communities. I want to say to you this morning, you can put the next slide up on the screen, that the glad good news of the gospel is that forgiveness and reconciliation are available to us on one condition the confession of our sins, and the willingness to forgive other people their sins. Now, you might be sitting there this morning, you're looking at that, and you're going, he said one condition, and I think I've got two by, I ain't no mathematician, but I feel like I got two conditions there, the confession of our sins and the willingness to forgive other people their sins. That sounds like two things aren't, all right? But I actually think that they're the same thing. I think that these are two sides of the same coin, or maybe there are two moments in the economy of God's grace and God's forgiveness. It seems to me that if you try to turn off the spigot to one of those things, forgiveness with other people, you cannot hope to have the remain spigot open between you and God. It just doesn't, 
It's part of the same atmosphere. It's part of the same economy of grace and mercy and forgiveness. As we open our heart to God, we also find that our heart is open to other people. And as we find that our heart is opening to other people, we also realize that the heart of God and our heart are opening to one another. It's an economy of grace and mercy and forgiveness. One of the greatest stories I think I've ever heard about this. And it is a thorny issue. How does it happen? How does forgiveness take place? How does reconciliation take place in our relationships? I don't know all of the ins and outs of it, but what I do know is that we need to avail ourselves of God's love. Somehow that opens up something in us. And I, one of the greatest stories I think I've ever heard about this comes from Joyce Meyer. Some of you might be aware of Joyce Meyer, has had a wonderful ministry for many years, preacher, writer, author, speaker. She's great. And Joyce did not grow up in the church. Grew up in a home, mom and a dad that were not following Jesus at all. And her dad was sexually abusive. Over and over it happened to her when she was a little girl. And when she was 16 years old, Joyce, not a believer, hurting from what's been done to her, she decided to leave the house. First chance I got, she said. I left the house and I wandered. The pain of what was done to me dogged me for many years. She said, I got in my mid-20s and I discovered Jesus, or Jesus discovered me. And as I start working through the pain of what I went through with my parents, I was so mad at my dad for what he did and also so mad at my mom for not standing up. For me, there was breaches had fallen into the relationship everywhere. She said, and as I began to know the grace and the mercy of Jesus, it started changing my heart. So mad at my parents, but all of a sudden my bitterness towards my parents starts fading away. It didn't happen overnight. She said, but I found that I was becoming merciful. I was becoming tender in my heart. And the Lord was leading me in a process of really forgiving my parents, letting them go, releasing them for what they did or didn't do to me. That's the nature of sin. She said a lot of years passed, didn't have a lot of contact with them, just kind of occasional contact with them. And as they got older in years, they really started needing somebody to look after them. She said, and I was in prayer one morning, and I just felt like the Lord laid on my heart that me and my husband, Dave, were supposed to empty out all of our savings. Now, she's got probably millions of dollars at this point, but at that point, they didn't have that much money. The ministry was just getting going. She said, I felt like the Lord was impressing upon us that we needed to empty out our savings build a little house for my parents and move them real close and take care of them until they died. She said, and I thought for sure that that was the devil. (laughs) God, there is no way, like you know what I've been through, there is no way that you would ask me to do something so crazy. She said, so what I decided to do is I'm going to go talk to, she said, I decided to talk to my husband, Dave, because he's real practical and level-headed and I'll run this idea by Dave and see what he thinks and surely Dave is going to say that this It's a terrible idea and let's not do it. So she goes to her husband, Dave. Dave, what do you think about this? And Dave goes, that's from the Lord. We need to do that. Oh, crap. (laughs) So they empty out the savings account and they build the house for mom and dad, move them real close, and they start taking care of mom and dad. Okay? Mowing their lawn and picking up groceries and taking care of groceries and paying bills for them, all that stuff. She said, in all of those years that we took care of mom and dad, she said there was no change in my parents whatsoever and no change in my dad just as mean as a snake. Every time I'd go over there and do a kind thing for them, all I would get back from him is bitterness and toxicity. And I'm going, God, what is the point of this? (laughs) We're just, I'm wasting kindness on these people that aren't receiving it. They don't even really care. What is the point? But maybe the point is that we are merciful like our Father in heaven is merciful which is to say that we're merciful without limit. And so they kept doing it. 
And she said, one Thanksgiving morning, I got a phone call from my mom. And my mom said, Joyce, you better get over here. Your dad's been crying all morning and he's asking for you. She said, okay. She hung up the phone. She got in the car. She went to her parents' house. Her dad was in the bedroom, in the bed. So she got, went into the bedroom and she climbed up on the bed with him. She said, daddy, what's the matter? He's weeping. Daddy, what's the matter? And he said, Joyce, honey, I just wanted to say to you that I am so sorry for everything that I did to you when you were a little girl. And there's no way that I can go back and make up for it, but I need you to hear me say, I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong and I'm so sorry. And he's weeping and she's weeping. And she says to him, Dad, I met Jesus a long time ago. And Jesus gave me the grace to forgive you. I forgave you a long time ago. But to hear you say this, to hear those words from your lips does more good in my heart than you could ever imagine. And what happens between them? Reconciliation takes place. The offense is lifted. Because what God is trying to do among us is he's trying to address the breakdowns that take place between us. And do you know what Joyce had the opportunity to do not long thereafter? She led her dad in the sinner's prayer right there on the bed and then baptized him before he died. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to us the ministry and the message of reconciliation. And so we implore on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God in Christ has dealt with every infraction that has fallen between us and one another and between us and God with the result that we can be a merciful people because God has had mercy on us. The great Dallas Willard put it so well when he said that it's not psychologically possible for us to at once know God's pity for us and yet be hard-hearted towards other people. Guys, when we come to the table of the Lord each week, this is what's happening. The whole economy of grace is going into motion that we are dropping pride and pretension and self-righteousness and we are saying to the Lord, most merciful God, we confess to you that we've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone, which by the way, the only way that those things take place, thought, word, and deed, what we've done and what we've undone, where do those things happen? In our relationships with each other so that while we're confessing our sins to God, we're also confessing our sins with one another and we're receiving the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And then we're turning around and we're extending grace and mercy and forgiveness to the world. Guys, God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ. And he's starting right here with this moment. Can we stand and prepare our hearts for communion? Oh, Jesus, come, 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 come. Just struck me this morning as I was preparing that uh, 
Some of you all, your relationships with each other are just very hopelessly stuck, or it seems that way anyway. Husbands and wives, parents and kids, brothers and sisters, friends, business partners. Infractions have taken place in your relationship with them. And it just strikes me that this morning, I think that the Lord is going to renew you in your repentance. And I think that you're going to find not just mercy from God, but I think that you're going to go from this place this morning. And you know there are things that you need to address with other people. Things that you just need to say you're sorry for. And you're going to find that as you do that, that wells of mercy and grace open up in your relationship with people. I think that God is going to reconcile and restore some relationships this afternoon. I think that some phone calls are going to happen that have needed to happen for a lot of years are going to happen this afternoon. Some conversations that have needed to happen for years are going to happen this afternoon. We've got not, guys, when we come, listen, when we come and confess our sins to the Lord, what we find is this well of infinite mercy and forgiveness. God has forgiven us. We have nothing to fear then in confessing our sins to other people. What's the worst that can happen to us? that they close their heart back down, God still receives us. And God will open up their heart in his way and in his time. Just live humbly. So Lord, here we are. And we say, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We haven't loved you with our whole hearts. We haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, the scripture says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If you can believe that this morning, would you give God praise as we prepare ours for the table? We say thanks be to God. Let's sing this song of worship in response, and then Pastor Colin is going to lead us to the table. Sing this with me. All these pieces broken and scattered in mercy
Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Would you do that right now? Would you give the Lord thanks? The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you break the bread in your hand right now? God, I thank you for the sacrifice of your son on a cross for our sins so that we could be forgiven. God, our heart's desire is to forgive as you have forgiven us. God, we receive this today with thankfulness. Would you take the bread and eat? In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And this cup in Psalm 116 has been on my heart this morning. David, the psalmist in worship, he says that, he says that we lift the cup that symbolizes salvation. Would you lift the cup this morning? We see in Jesus the fulfillment that this cup is a new covenant. What happened when Jesus died on a cross for your sins, for my sins, do we now have a, a covenant relationship with God through what we hold in your hand? This is, sim this is what it symbolizes. We proclaim the Lord's death by taking this cup, which you take together and drink. God, thank you for inviting us to the table, for forgiving us. Would you respond in worship this morning? good to be in the house of God together. Would you lift up your hands like this? Receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. I'll invite our altar ministry team to come forward if you need prayer for anything. We would love to pray with you. Mamas, grab a carnation. 
on the way out. That is our prayer and our blessing over your life today. It's good to see you again, New Life East. We will see you next Sunday. Go in God's grace and peace.